the service this morning in the Savior's name, and trusting his blessing uh, to be upon us. We're going to commence our worship of the Lord by turning in our hymnals uh, to the Psalm 119b. Uh, the Psalm 119b. By what means shall a young man learn his way to purify if he according to thy word thereto attentive be? The Psalm 119b will stand as we sing, and we'll sing all six verses that we have uh, before us this morning. Standing to sing.
be seated. I'm going to turn in the Word of God to the first Psalm, Psalm 1. And we'll read the six verses here together. Psalm 1, the first Psalm. And commencing at verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord, please. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we give thee thanks today that we can come and worship thee. We pray that we would not forget thy word as we have sang together. Thy word would take root within our lives. Thy word would be that great foundation upon which we build as thy people and as thy church. May we have that desire to love thy word, to read thy word, to study thy word. O God, to put thy word first within our lives, that we would be men and women who are blessed because we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, but we walk a course according to thy word. And we walk that righteous path, that blessed path. May we be like trees planted by the rivers of water that will bring forth our fruit in its season, fruit that glorifies thee, fruit that speaks of Christ, fruit that plays its part, as it were, in proclaiming the gospel and in seeking to reach the lost for the Savior. Father, we are mindful of those who are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind driveth away. We realize, O oh God, from this psalm that there are those who are righteous, those who are blessed by God, but there are those that are unrighteous, those who've never repented of sin, never turned to thee, who will be driven away, who will perish. And Father, today as we come to thy word and as we come to thy worship, we beseech thee, O God, that each one here would know thee, that those who are unrighteous in thy sight, those who've never believed, those who've never trusted the Savior, Lord, that they would not be like that chaff that the wind will drive away, that they would not perish, because in grace and mercy, and thou art pleased to draw them to thyself, to save their souls, 
to change their life, to regenerate their hearts. The Father moves, we pray. We do remember those here outside of Christ, those loved ones and friends and family members, those who attend this congregation here who are outside of Christ. Father, speak to their hearts. Draw them to thyself. We rejoice in that great truth that salvation is of the Lord. And we realize that though we may preach the gospel, though we may warn and point sinners to the Savior, ultimately salvation is of thee. And, O oh God, we cry to thee that thou would move not only here in this congregation, but we think of our other churches in Canada and across our denomination and loved ones outside of Christ. We think of those in the local areas outside of Christ. We think of those within these nations outside of Christ. And Father, we look to Thee that Thou would come and move in power and that souls would flee sin and flee unrighteousness and flee the lusts of the flesh and come and place their faith and trust in the Saviour. Lord, we thank Thee and for what Thou hast done in days gone by, the great revivals of old, the great outpourings of the Spirit of God, and we cry for that afresh in our day and in our generation, that Thou would revive us, revive our hearts, and revive, Father, uh, each one present here, uh, that our faith uh, would not be a trivial thing within our lives, uh, but that Christ would be everything, that we would be focused on the lovely Son of God who gave himself for us, that we'd have that desire to live for him and to serve him in all that we do. May we glorify thee. May Christ be preeminent in this congregation and in each and every home that is represented. Father, we remember the families of our congregation. We pray exactly that again, that Christ would be preeminent in every life, in every home, we do remember those outside of Christ afresh. Remember children. Father, we pray thou would bring families into our congregation here. Thou would save souls. Thou would build thy church. Thou would meet our needs as well. We think of the needs that we do have. And Father, remember those who need thy help and need thy strength. Father, we remember Brother Vern and the Hanson family and all of their needs. We remember Father and Debbie. Remember Clayton Snow. Remember others as well who need thy help. Father, we pray thou would draw near. Give grace and give strength. We thank thee that in the hard times of life that our Savior cares for us. We can leave and cast our burdens at thy feet. Father, as we gather today and as we meet together, we pray that thou would bless this service. Bless this time around thy word. We pray that thou would prepare our hearts to receive thy truth, that it would not be uh, just something that goes over our heads or something that we ignore. But Father, we pray that we would come to thy word with that thought within our hearts that this is God's truth. And may his spirit apply it to our hearts. Father, if we need rebuked and corrected, Instructed, encouraged through thy word, do it today, we pray, through the power of thy spirit. Father, we pray that thou would break us, that all our own ideas would 
pass away and that thy word in Christ will be central within our lives. Sanctify our hearts, edify us as thy people. Draw near to us. Father, we do remember our radio broadcast as well. Throughout this week, on the Lord's days too, bless thy word as it goes forth. And may that work know the blessing of God. Father, bless us today. Forgive us for our sins. May we look afresh to the Savior, rejoicing in him, rejoicing in his goodness. And even as we consider at the adult Sunday school the importance of the canon of Scripture, may we come believing that all of thy word is inspired. All of thy word is what thou hast given to us. And Father, may we hold true to it. Bless us as we worship. Do our souls good, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Turning again in our hymnals to hymn 267. At 267, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Hymn 267, and I've been informed the microphone in the pulpit is not working, so if there are those listening online who haven't heard anything so far, uh, we apologise, and hopefully this will uh, correct uh, any issue. We'll stand as we sing 267.
you may be seated. We're turning in the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read uh, this chapter again. I thought maybe we could come to the end of this chapter this morning, and I don't think that's going to be the case. It does say in the bulletin uh, that uh, we're dealing uh, with these verses uh, at the end of the chapter, but I don't think we're going to get too far uh, along. And I think uh, to be fair to the passage itself and to be fair to uh, the last number of verses we have to take next week as well uh, to look at what Paul is teaching here. And so uh, the bulletin will say we're dealing with all of these things, uh, but we may only get uh, through to verse 9 and 10 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Word of God says, I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Eve was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible word this morning. At this point in our service, we do give a warm word of welcome to each one gathered in. Uh, we do welcome uh, those who are watching online as well and trust that the Lord will bless as we worship him today. Do remember the prayer meeting at 5.30 this evening and then the 6 p.m. worship service as we gather here uh, to hear the word of God again. Tomorrow we have uh, our 55-plus Christmas lunch at Newlands Golf and Country Club. Uh, we had those who came yesterday, and uh, because of uh, the number looking to come, 
and the limit that we had on numbers attending yesterday uh, due to them not being able to take any more bookings. Uh, a number of people moved across to Monday. Others came on Monday too. And so we are meeting together uh, Monday the 11th of December at 12 p.m. at Newlands uh, for that uh, Christmas lunch. We had a good time yesterday and good fellowship with one and another and good food too. And so those going tomorrow, we trust that uh, you'll be blessed as uh, you have that fellowship and that time uh, together. And hopefully the food will just be as good as it was yesterday as well. On Wednesday evening, we have our prayer meeting and Bible study downstairs. It's on Zoom as well. And so if you want to be added to that email list to get that link, then uh, please let me know. And this week we'll be uh, taking a break from our series in the book of Psalms. Uh, the Reverend Saunders, the moderator of our denomination, uh, went to Korea recently. We have a mission work in Korea, and uh, the uh, Reverend Saunders went on behalf of our mission board, of our denomination, uh, to see the Reverend Lee and to see that work. And he has produced a PowerPoint presentation, and he talks through it and tells us of the various photographs and the church and the work and the various prayer requests. And so uh, we'll watch that on Wednesday evening. We'll bring a reading, a few thoughts on the Word of God very briefly, and then the report itself is around 17 minutes thereabouts uh, when I watched it uh, earlier this week, last week. And so do remember that, and uh, we trust uh, that it would be uh, a blessing as we think upon that work in Korea. On Friday, the 15th of December, this Friday at 7 p.m., we have our Christmas social and fellowship here. Uh, so we do remind you about that. We invite each one to come. Uh, there are two lists on the table. One is for food. Uh, there will be a potluck uh, meal downstairs uh, after uh, we have our uh, gathering here. And so at 7 p.m., we'll have our gathering here. Uh, there will be various items in song, singing some of the great songs of the Incarnation. I'll bring a short devotional as well. And then after about an hour, uh, we'll go downstairs and we'll have that potluck uh, meal, that supper uh, together. And so uh, do put your name on the list to bring food. And also there is a list for various items such as readings or, or singing. And so if you'd like to take part, do put your name on the list or talk to me. And I think at some stage I may be talking to a few people, seeing if you'd like to uh, do something. And so we'll put together an order of service then uh, for that on Friday evening. It's a good time. I, I've heard it's a good time in past days. I've never been. Uh, this is my first time. And so we encourage you to come and have uh, fellowship with us on Friday evening. And then on Saturday morning at 8 a.m., it's a men's prayer breakfast. And so men do come along, bring something to share, and uh, we'll uh, consider the Word and pray together before eating uh, breakfast. Due to the uh, Christmas break, on the 24th and 31st of December, uh, there will be no Sunday school uh, here in the church. That will recommence after uh, the new year. Uh, Sunday school will be next week, but uh, there will be two weeks off. Then on the 31st of December, I am preaching in our Calgary church, and the preacher of both services will be Mr. Stephen Boyd, uh, so do uh, remember that. 
Next year, our congregation uh, will celebrate its 40th anniversary. It was 40 years ago the Reverend Gallagher came from Northern Ireland uh, to plant a church here in the Greater Vancouver area. And so we're asking if you have any photographs of special occasions, maybe news articles or items of interest that could be copied or scanned uh, as part of a potential uh, presentation of the history of our church here, uh, then please uh, contact me and uh, maybe the opening service, for example, or if you have photographs of the recent ordination uh, that I don't have, uh, maybe other events in the church over its history, uh, then uh, do feel free uh, to pass those along. Uh, we'll get the originals back to you, but we'll scan uh, them in so that we have a copy that can be used. Our session has also made the decision to have a week of prayer. Uh, commencing uh, Monday, I think it's the 8th of January, uh, through to that Friday. Uh, that week of prayer will be at 7 p.m. on Zoom, and uh, we'll be gathering together for about an hour or so to pray, and to pray for the year that lies ahead. Uh, the Wednesday night prayer meeting will be at the normal time of 7.30, and we'll meet in person, but the other four nights uh, we'll meet on Zoom at 7 p.m. There'll be more details about that, and that will be in the bulletin at a later date. Our sister, Mrs. Curry Hansen, has also prepared uh, some bags with gospel literature and some essentials for those who are homeless. Uh, those bags are in a box at the table at the entrance, and so uh, feel free to take some of those to pass them on if you see someone who is in need. It's helpful to them with the various essentials, but also uh, it spreads the gospel of Christ and uh, gives that gospel literature as well. So do remember that. Uh, these are all the announcements, uh, the subject to the will of God, and we're going to turn in our hymnals then uh, to the hymn 390. Uh, 390, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. 390 will remain seated while their tithes for the Lord's work are received. Shall we pray? 
Dear Heavenly God and Father, we come before thee this day. We thank thee, Lord, for thy bounty that you give unto us. We ask that you would take it, that you would take our tithes and offerings, and that you would use it, that the gospel may go forth in this land and over the airwaves and also in this house. We thank thee, Lord, for thy goodness to us. We thank thee for thy blessings, and we ask that you would also open your word to our hearts and minds. Help us as we open the word. Help our pastor to preach. And we ask that you would unite us in the doctrines that are presented, in the message that is preached, and love for the Savior. Help us to honor our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all things. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Let us stand. We will sing the final verse of 390. And when before the throne I stand in him complete. The final verse, verse 4, 390. as far as the first point, and we'll come back next week to consider uh, the other points and maybe uh, consider in more detail uh, what is being said, uh, because if we left that to the end of this message, you may be talking uh, five minutes or ten minutes to deal with those uh, two points. And so uh, we'll see how the Lord leads regarding that. Uh, but we'll come to the reading of the Word, 1 Timothy 2, and we'll read just verse, verses 9 and 10, and uh, we'll come to the others next week. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word this morning. Let us seek the Lord together and let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee today that we can read thy precious word and we can consider what thou hast for us here. 
We thank Thee that as we preach through a book such as this, we come to verses that may not immediately be upon our minds to preach, maybe subjects that <laughs> we would never turn to in and of ourselves, uh, but we rejoice that we are to preach the full counsel of God. And we pray today as we come to these verses, and as we consider these words that many will deem to be controversial, many uh, will simply set aside, uh, that that would teach us and instruct us, that we would see the love of our Savior here. We would see the love that we ought to have for our Savior as the church of Christ, that as we deal primarily with the role of women in these verses, that the men would not be forgotten about as well, because the same truths here can very much apply to them, as did the previous verse of prayer apply to the women. And Father, as we approach these things, we pray for Thy grace. We pray, Father, for Thy Spirit to enlighten our minds and to open our hearts, that we would see what is being taught here, and that it would glorify Thee, and that we would desire to be believers that are godly, believers that love Thee, believers that put Thee first in all things. Bless us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to those outside of Christ, we pray. May we have a blessed time considering Thy precious truth, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. As we approach these verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is something that we need to take into deep consideration. This chapter concerns the public worship of God and therefore our behavior and our conduct within the church of Christ. And our behavior and our conduct within the church is absolutely crucial and vital to our spiritual well-being. Of course, when we talk about behavior in church, we often think of the children and the young people and those perhaps who maybe don't behave in a way that they ought to. But yet, when we think of what is being said here, the very same applies to those who are more mature in years and more mature in their faith. It is important for all of us regardless of our age, to know how we behave and conduct ourselves in the worship of God. And that can include the various aspects of worship. How should we pray? How should we praise? How should we preach and listen to preaching? How should we come to the house of God in preparation of heart? It also deals with the externals because we see that in 1 Timothy 3. There are externals in view, and the externals always take their lead, we could say, from that which is within the heart. And so it's important for us to understand how we conduct ourselves in the worship of God, but also to understand the vital importance of God's worship.
and the public coming together of his people to our spiritual well-being. The apostle here deals with the matter of prayer, and then he moves into various matters concerning the conduct of women within the church of Christ. And of course, there are applications, and there are lessons as well for the men. And as we consider that, we are to take these things seriously. And the Lord is giving us this word, not the apostle, but God inspired the apostle. God is giving us this word because he loves his people. He desires his people to grow and be sanctified and edified and to go forward for him. He desires his people to come to the place of worship and worship God in the right way with the right means and the right frame of character and heart and appearance. And these things, dear believer, are for our spiritual good. And before we come to consider these verses, we need to understand then the importance of worship and then the love by which the Savior and the Lord is instructing us here for our good, for our good. And the passage before us concerns the role of women within the church. One commentator made the remark that in the modern context, this paragraph cannot be read without raising and blood pressure because of the great disagreement, not only with the world, but also within Christianity today. As we move through this passage, we see that often the church has set this aside. Reformed churches have set this passage aside. We can think of modern churches and charismatic churches. They have set various parts of this passage aside. They no longer teach it. They no longer hold to it as the apostle is teaching here. And that then creates problems within uh, the, work, the work of Christ and conflict within the work of Christ. Hence, the raising of blood pressure. I'm not sure what my blood pressure is like this morning. I don't have a sore head. And so that is a good sign uh, that things are not so bad in that way. But as a passage, as I said, we're to approach in love. It shouldn't raise our blood pressure. It shouldn't raise hackles and disagreements. Because there are important truths here for the good of Christ's church. And this passage has been opposed by the world. The story is told of John Chrysostom, one of the early uh, church preachers, a golden-tongued preacher, as he was called. He preached against the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And it, the story is told that as he preached from this passage, uh, the empress did not like what this man was preaching. And so she ran him into exile, where he later died. Paul's teaching here clashed with her lifestyle. The word likewise that we have in verse 9 is vital and it is important because it indicates to us the context of the apostle in this passage of public worship. We define as public worship what we do here on the Lord's Day, the coming together of God's people. We define as public worship the coming together on the Wednesday evening of God's people to pray and to worship God together. And the apostle knows here that the women will be in the public gatherings of the church. And they are included here in what he is teaching. 
the importance of prayer. Likewise, and women are to pray, but likewise there are other matters that are to be taken into consideration. There is a social and a cultural context here in Hellenistic society in Ephesus, in the context and the culture Paul is addressing, Hellenistic meaning Greek, the Greek culture, and, and braided her in, in an elaborate way was the sign of extravagance and luxury. And so as we see what the apostle is saying here, this her style, this jewelry, was the sign of wealth and vanity. There were those who were rich within this church. But Paul warns us throughout this epistle about the danger of indulging. Verse 6 of chapter 5, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Indulging in all the excesses of life is a vain thing. Luxurious living in a society where other Christians were poor seemed inappropriate behavior for the people of God. These adornments that the apostle is speaking about were also associated with those who lived immoral lives within society. Ephesus was the home of the temple to Artemis or Diana, and there was an association then with immorality and those around the temple who practiced immorality. And therefore, opposed to that in this city, in this culture, and of course in society in general, the Christian woman is to stand out from all of that. She is to be separate from these things. She is to be faithful to a husband. She is to be noted by prayer. She is to be noted by her appearance. And Scripture here addresses besetting sins. Besetting sins. It can be a very difficult thing to pray. We can struggle to pray the way that we ought to pray. Paul addresses that. And now he addresses besetting sins that can affect the ladies within the congregation. Ravishness in outward appearance being one of those. And we are remembered, we are reminded that God looks into the heart. He does not look at the outward appearance. You can look well, and you can dress well, and you can come to the house of God and look good, but God sees beyond that. He sees the internal. He sees your heart. As we come to this passage, you may say, well, Paul isn't dealing here with the fundamentals of the gospel. This isn't a salvation issue. Therefore, it's unimportant and can be ignored. I can be a Christian and saved and on my way to heaven, regardless of whether I apply verse 9 in my life or not. I came across this as an illustration uh, recently. And the illustration was given that if your wife asked you to take out the garbage and the trash, and you asked in return, darling, is this a divorce issue? In other words, if I don't take this garbage out, are you going to divorce me on grounds of not taking the garbage out? Of course, what does the wife say? I'm not going to divorce you if you don't take the garbage out. So then, would you refuse to take out the garbage and the trash? because it's relatively unimportant regarding the structure and the existence of your marriage? No, you're going to take the garbage out. We would never think of that. 
And just because a truth in Scripture is not necessarily a salvation issue, it is still important. There are issues we should not be divided about, and issues we should not uh, have arguments and debates and divisions about. But Scripture deals with many matters that are important. They are not salvation issues, but they are of great importance. And this is what the apostle is driving home to his church here. There are things that are important. Prayer, the importance of praying for individuals and those in authority, the importance of men praying and leading in prayer, but also the ladies, the ladies whom we love within the church, those whom have been saved and redeemed, those who are our grandmothers and our spouses, those who serve the Lord in the local church. They are to be loved and cared for. But there are truths they need to take on board as well as the men for the good of the church of Christ and in the importance of public worship. And so I want us to consider women within the church or godly women within the church. And so we have three thoughts. We're only dealing with the first one this morning. And we see, firstly, then, a God-glorifying modesty. A God-glorifying modesty. And I want you to understand what we're saying here. The structure of a sermon is very important. And our title is Godly Women Within the Church. That should be the desire of every man here. That should be the prayer of every man here, that as a congregation there would be godly men and godly women. And dear lady, that should be your desire, that you would be godly within the church, that you would be an example in godliness within the church of Christ, an example to the younger generation, an example to new believers, an example and encouragement to those men within the church of Christ as well. Because we are one body, we are one family, we love one another in the Lord. And therefore, our desire is to have godly women within the church. And then we have aspects of that. And Paul gives us these aspects here, a God-glorifying modesty. Not a modesty that will keep the pastor happy or keep a man happy, but a modesty that ultimately, and this is its purpose, glorifies God. Because as we come together and worship, we're glorifying God. We're to glorify God in all that we do. And as the man comes to pray, what is he doing? As he prays, he's glorifying God. As the woman comes to church, and as she dresses in modest apparel, and as she obeys what we see here in verse 9 and verse 10, that glorifies God. It glorifies her Savior. It brings forth a testimony and a witness for her master. And so I want you to notice then a God-glorifying modesty. Notice verse 9. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. The apostle is telling women how to dress, what clothing to wear in church. And that's a subject that is important. What should the Christian wear coming to the house of God. There are acceptable fashions in society. There are fashions that are acceptable in society and in churches. We can expand that culturally. There are means of dress 
that differ in culture. In Northern Ireland, the standard within our denomination is a suit and shirt and tie for the men, dresses and skirts for the ladies. Some cultures wear ties, others do not. I've preached in cultures where a tie has never been seen, but yet there's been a respectful dress. Some keep the jacket, others do not. The heat comes into the equation as well. And sometimes when I've preached 45 degrees outside in Australia, there have been those within the church and they have come in shorts and a short sleeve shirt because it is so warm. Fashion is often dictated by our circumstances and by our culture. And fashions change. Would you come to church dressed in clothes that were in fashion 200 years ago. Most of us would not do that. Unless we had a fancy dress day, which we're not going to have. But we would come in the clothes that are applicable to our culture. And Paul here is not saying you're not to wear clothes that are suitable in your culture and in your society because fashions change. He's not giving a thousand-page instruction manual regarding the suitability of different fashions for worship over the history of the church. He's not doing that. He gives two verses, a longer verse and a shorter verse, that comprise basic principles of what fashion is acceptable for the worship of God. And we're to take those principles and we apply them to the society in which we live. Timothy here and in the church at Ephesus, they were to take these principles and view them in light of their society and hold to these principles. And we need to understand something else. This is inspired scripture. This is not the ideas of Paul or the pastor. This is God instructing. God instructing. And so I want to notice some of these terms here. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves. And that word adorn in the original Greek, it means to arrange to put into order, to make ready. We all do that. Did we not this morning when we got up, went about our way to make ready for worship, to come together for worship and to prepare ourselves, to place some attention on how we look? We washed our face, we brushed our teeth, we combed our hair, we did all the various things to to look presentable. And this is what that word means, adorn. And Paul is saying there's to be an attentiveness. When you come to worship the Lord, there is to be an attentiveness. And part of that preparation is internal. We're to prepare our hearts. That's another subject as well. And we should not forget the internals that are pointed to because of the externals here. The internals are important. But there is this part that is external, the outward appearance And there should be preparation so that women, we can apply this to men as well, of course, women should not be drawn attention away from the worship of God. Same is true of men. Our focus in worship is God. And therefore, we should adorn ourselves to keep the attention upon Him. I'm not going to come and preach next Sunday dressed in the basketball gear of a particular team I may or may not like. Why is that? Well, we're here to worship God. So that dress is firstly inappropriate, but secondly, in light of what we're saying here, it draws attention away. You'll be wondering, why is the pastor wearing sports gear in the pulpit? What is the whole point of this? 
It's drawing your attention away from where your heart should be focused. And the same is true of us all. The same is true of us all. Our focus in worship is God, and therefore we should adorn ourselves. We should prepare to keep the attention on him. And I think we ought to emphasize that while these terms are important for worship, some should be practiced all the time. For example, we have modest apparel. Modest apparel. We should be adorned in modest apparel. What is modesty? Well, the Greek means well-arranged or seemly or modest. It's a mode of dress and deportment which intends to avoid the encouragement of attraction in others. It comes from the Latin word that means, uh, a Latin word which means to keep within measure. We're to keep within measure. There's to be a limit placed upon the attractiveness that we make our personal appearance. And therefore, our appearance should not generate lust in others. It should be modest. And Paul is teaching that women ought to come into public worship in a manner that is fit to meet God. There's a place for nice clothing. There's a place for taking care in your appearance and looking well. But I believe what Paul is dealing with here are the excesses. And the excesses he was seeing in society, excesses we see today. And proper adornment reflects proper preparation of the heart as well. The two go together. We've mentioned these things already. The eternal affects the external. If your heart is right with God and you're looking forward to worship, we'll see that on your outward appearance. As you sing and as you listen, as you're attentive, that is noticeable. But if your heart is far from God and there's no interest, no interest in singing his praises, no interest in hearing his word, that will be noticeable. And so the inward heart that does not care about God and does not care about his worship will not take care in the modesty of outward appearance. Yes, we still can because it's an outward thing, but it will not come from the heart. We shall also draw attention to gender-specific clothing. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, it says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. And there are many conceptions and misconceptions in churches today. And there are those that say that, well, trousers or pants, as we would call them in North America, it's male clothing. It's just for the men. No woman should wear pants, so many will say. But since when? Pants have evolved over time. Yes, they may be more associated with men. But yet, what Paul is teaching here, what Scripture is teaching here, the only thing that we find in Scripture that pertains to that thinking is that I shouldn't wear my wife's pants and she shouldn't wear mine. The clothing is separate. The clothing is separate. Cultures change. Styles and fashions change. And if we apply these things to pants or dresses or skirts, well, we need to go back to what men originally wore. Robes and tunics. That's the context of the dress we have in biblical times. The scriptural emphasis here then is this that a woman and a man should be modest 
and identifiable as a man or woman, depending on their gender in every aspect of society. But in the church, we shouldn't see a Christian walking in, and we're absolutely unsure whether that is Mr. Smith or his wife, Mrs. Smith. And we don't know because of the clothing and because of the appearance. We've no idea. There should be that distinct recognition and identity as those whom God has created, male and female. And of course, there are clothing in society and in culture that reflect upon those genders. And so, I'm not going to walk into church wearing clothes that are from the local women's clothes shop, for example, because that is not what we're taught in Scripture. And so, when we come to modesty, we're to dress modestly. And we are also to expand on that to dress according to whether we are male or female. We come to this next term, shamefacedness. The definition of the Greek here means a sense of shame or honor or modesty. Reverence or regard for others or respect is to be a respect for God in our appearance and a respect for other believers. Styles change. Styles change. I've often heard those who are older be critical of how younger folk dress. And sometimes the younger folk have ignored the principles we see here in 1 Timothy 2. Sometimes the older folk are a little too critical. But we should dress not to offend others, not to make others feel awkward, to dress to draw attention away from us and to place it on God. The godly woman should be ashamed and feel guilt within her if she distracts attention away from others worshiping God or contributes to godless thoughts of lust. One who is godly will desire to dress in a way to avoid such temptation. A godly woman hates sin, and therefore she would not do anything to cause sin herself or cause others to sin. There's a respect and a love for all. We have this word as well, sobriety, and that means soundness of mind and self-control. And self-control is so important. We need it in many, many ways. We're to seek God for that. Self-control. There's something I see today in many churches. Certainly I see this where I come from. I don't see it to the same extent in the circles I've moved in in North America. But the church aisle is not a catwalk. And I'm not talking about the creature, the animal, cats. I'm talking about a fashion parade. The church aisle is not a catwalk where you show off the latest styles. And that goes against what the apostle is saying here. The church is not a place where you go to show off the latest styles or to be exposed to the latest styles. There is nice dress and new dresses and all sorts of things, but we do not dress ourselves to show off our wealth, to show off who we are, to show off how nicely we can array our clothes. Self-control was seen by the Greeks as an important virtue. It's seen by the church of Christ as an important virtue. And so, therefore, we are to dress 
simply and with reverence and with self-control. Then we move into this last section. Broided her or goals or costly array. The apostle here is not forbidding the mere braiding of her, but that which is adorned with pearls and gold and costly array. Well, these things are not wrong in and of themselves. If we were to examine ourselves today, well, we're wearing gold. I'm wearing gold. I have a gold ring on. Others will have gold, a gold watch or a gold necklace or, or rings or whatever it might be, maybe diamonds, etc. These things are not wrong in and of themselves, but what the apostle is saying, and some of those things are cultural as well, the marriage band. But what the apostle is saying is he's not forbidding her to her styles and a clean appearance. He's not preaching against jewelry. But what he is doing is he is warning against the excesses of it. The excesses of it. He's forbidding a preoccupation or an obsession with those things. Women in this culture would often wove gold and pearls and expensive things into their hair. It was a display for the eyes of others to form a good reputation for pride and whatever else. And so our preparation for worship should be focused upon the heart and modesty and simpleness in appearance. And not spending an hour deciding whether we want a blue necklace or a green necklace or a red tie or a blue tie or whatever it might be. We know we can often be indecisive when it comes to how we dress ourselves. Simply. And the priority is to be placed upon preparing our hearts for the worship of God. We're not to spend more time on externals that don't matter that don't matter. There's no condemnation of dressing up nicely and respectively as we come to the worship of God. But this is what Paul is saying. The excesses that we see in the world, the excesses we see in worldly entertainment, the excesses we see in the sinfulness of the world, that is to be avoided when we come into the house of God. John Chrysostom wrote, and what then is modest apparel, such as covers completely and decently. Do you approach God to pray with broided hair and ornaments of gold? Or do you come to a ball, to a marriage feast, to a carnival? There are such costly items have been seasonable, but here not one of them is wanted. You come to pray, to ask pardon for your sins, to plead for your offenses, beseeching the Lord and hoping to render him propitious to you. John Calvin said, The fault is excessive concern and eagerness about dress. Paul's wish is that their dressing should be regulated by modesty and moderation. And so the point Paul is getting across is this, coming to worship with the fleshly idea of adorning oneself to be seen of others is sinful and it must be avoided and will be avoided by the godly woman who loves Christ and puts Christ first. And that is who every Christian woman ought to strive to be, someone who is godly and someone who is an example to others, someone who loves the standards of God. Why? Because she loves her God. She loves the standards of God and not the standards of the culture of this world. This world shows beauty on the surface, but God's standards speak of inward beauty. They speak of godliness. Those that array themselves, modest apparel, 
shamefacedness, sobriety. There's much more we could say here. We all know how the world likes to dress and the immorality associated with dress. We're to avoid these things in the worship of God and within our lives as believers. And we see an inward beauty here. Godliness is an inward beauty, and that should be a desirable beauty. Young men, whether you're still a youth, still in your teens, or a little older, whether or not you're thinking of girlfriends and marriage, at some point that question will cross your mind. How should you approach it as a Christian man? How should you consider marriage and girlfriend? Who should you seek to have a relationship with? Well, if you're seeking to walk with the Lord and seeking to put Him first, then you should desire a godly woman. A godly woman. Not the outward beauty the world seeks, but the inward beauty that comes from godliness. The beauty of Christ working within the heart, redeeming and sanctifying and edifying. And that should be what you desire. If you look at this verse, verse 9, and you see young girls dressing like this and appearing like this within the church of Christ. And again, I want to emphasize Paul is dealing with excessiveness. He's not dealing with a gold necklace or a ring or a diamond engagement ring or a nice dress from Hudson Bay or something like that. He's dealing with excessivenesses to be seen of people. It's the excessiveness. And I want you to understand that's what we're saying, the excessiveness. And so, young men, when you look and when you seek a wife, think of verse 9. Those who come in modest apparel, those who come quietly and unseen, really, as they come to worship God, they want the attention on the Lord. They don't want the attention on themselves because they're godly and they're desirous of that. And women desire that also. If you're looking for a husband, desire that. A beautiful, godly nature. We don't often call men beautiful, uh, but a beautiful, godly nature. You know what I mean. And we see that in verse 10 regarding women as well. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Godliness is the standard for which we ought to strive. For which we ought to strive. Often, and I've seen this, there are ladies within the church who are concerned about their marital futures. Time is moving on. Time is moving on. And they're thinking and they're praying. Wait for the right man. Wait for the godly man. But as you wait, desire godliness. Desire godliness. And men, if you're waiting for a wife, waiting for God to bring the right girl to you, desire godliness. Desire good works as we see here. Desire to be men that pray. Be that godly woman that godly men are looking for. The way to be more attractive is not through the principles of the world, but through godliness. A woman is made beautiful not by what she wears, but through godliness. Through godliness. And as believers, we need to understand that and see that. 
The aging process cannot be reversed for any of us. But as we grow older and closer to Christ, there's a maturing spiritually that makes us more beautiful because of the Savior. Because of the Savior. Calvin said that women should dress in such a way that they openly profess their fear of God by their good works. Our life must demonstrate that we love the Savior. And this is how part of the way in which the ladies are to do this by modest apparel, by sobriety. And this is opposite to what we see in the world, opposite to what we see in the world. Calvin says of men, men must learn to dress soberly and with restraint so as to banish pride and affection. Pride, I say, which means that we no longer want to preen ourselves in our elegant attire and to look a cut above everybody else. We should avoid those pretty flourishes we use when we show off, strutting like peacocks with wings outstretched. These faults in us must be corrected, for nothing displeases God more than pride and the lofty ambition which says, I'll show people who I am. And he said that while preaching on this verse, not leaving the men out, not leaving the men out. Oh, that we would desire that modest outward clothing, but more so we would desire that internal clothing, the internal clothing of Christ, the garments of salvation, the robes of righteousness, humility and temperance and sobriety and meekness and patience and all such virtues that come from the Lord. May we be godly. May we desire godliness. May that be seen in a God-glorifying modesty, something that honors him, something that shows our love to him. May the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word today. We rejoice in it. We thank thee that we can have this instruction from thee and from thy word that reminds us so much of our relationship with thee and the importance of our hearts. And we pray, O oh God, our hearts would be right with thee, that our hearts would desire godliness, and desire to live aright for thee, and desire outwardly, in our clothing and in our attire and appearance, to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not be marked by the lustful desires and appearances of this world, but, Father, may we be marked by the modesty of the people of God. Father, bless us. We pray thou would part us with thy blessing. Write thy word upon our hearts, and may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen. Amen.